Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, presented by Manscaped.ca. Habs Unfiltered is featured on The Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio. This podcast brings you honest and in-depth hockey discussion and entertainment. Our hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudvay, are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 139. Uh, I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith. Afternoon. And our special guest, Grant McCagg of Recruits.ca. Good day. (laughs) Sporting the Recruits gear, I see. Oh, yeah. It's great stuff. Uh, Shout out to Nick from Insta Customs in Montreal for uh, making up all this stuff for me and not charging me. That's That's the real key. (laughs) <laughs> when the price is free it's always the best oh definitely but uh he does he makes good stuff so if you ever need anything customized t-shirts or whatever uh get in touch with uh insta customs you didn't even tell me to say that so <laughs> more free stuff definitely i'd also like to mention the fact that habs unfiltered is brought to you by manscape.ca remember to use your Manscaped products using the code unfiltered20. So this episode, we're going to, we'll just jump right to it. We're going to talk a, a little bit about the Calgary series, some general Habs talk. Uh, Patrick Roy is talking about an NHL return and what that would mean. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Canadians prospects and we will discuss some recruits.ca articles that are, that have been released recently, such as a first round NHL study and a few other items. So We'll just jump right into it, and we'll start with the the Habs talk. Uh, Grant, as you are our guest, uh, what was your take on the last three games of the Canadians in Calgary? And please don't be gentle. I uh, I think I only saw about half because I fell asleep during uh, the second <laughs> period. I think of all three games. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, boring hockey. I'm glad that uh, Daryl said they're done with Daryl Sutter for the for the rest of the year because that trap uh, boy brings back memories in New Jersey Devils in the uh you know 2000 era but uh 
they managed to get the one win that they had to get. If they hadn't won one of them, I think they, you know, the the panic threshold just goes up another fifty percent. So even though they left it to the last one, and the anxiety in Habsland was, uh, you know, sky high as we know going into the game, they uh, they managed to win the last one, and I think, you know, that that bodes well for them being able to uh, to beat out Calgary for a playoff spot. But uh, um. Allen, I think, was uh, was pretty good, and uh, you know, sure, it it made me realize that it was so important for them to get the quality backup that they needed when uh, the season started. Because invariably, Price is always hurt at one point during the season, and you had to have a guy that could come in and uh, at least keep them in some games. You know, uh, it, it's not Allen's uh, win percentage isn't great, but I think the main reason for that is that they haven't been they haven't been scoring to to support them. So um, luckily they they got two last night and that was enough to win. So um, you know uh, hopefully they can play five hundred the rest the rest of the regular season and and clinch that last spot. Yeah, uh, Matt, what was your uh, what was your take on uh, at least on last night's game? Yeah, so unfortunately, I didn't see the la- the f- the first two games of the series as I was working night shift. Uh, last night was the first one that I saw. Um, however, uh, as Grant said, it was a very it was a snooze fest. It really was. It was very boring hockey to watch. Um, the only thing that really kept me awake during that game is the fact that Caulfield was playing and that I didn't want to miss it. And uh, then that was really the only reason. Like he was, even though. He didn't get on the score sheet. He was in the plays. He was trying to find open ice. There was a lot of times where he was standing in a spot ready to take a shot. He made some good passes. Um, He had four shots, played over 15 minutes. And um, we see in Caulfield what he came as advertised. He's a a volume shooter. He's going to shoot from all angles. He's going to create some, uh, he's going to create some offense. I said, even though he didn't put the puck in the net, I think he had a solid debut. Um, my thought on the, my thought on the game, as I said, it was a snooze fest. Um, but you know, big on Weber to score a goal and, uh, without some, I'm not going to say key guys in the lineup. Um, like Droy's out, Brian's out right now. Uh, Gallagher's out, Price is out. We're, um, we're doing what we can with what we got right now. And, as Grant said, with the system that Sutter, that uh, Daryl Sutter has in place right now, it's very, 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 very dry. It's very hard to watch, especially after a night shift. <laughs> and um, I, I'm really hoping that um, that the they take this win and they don't just sit back on it. They get they got a, a couple tough games coming up. And right now it's looking like they're like, they're likely to play the Leafs in the first round. So anytime they have the opportunity to play the Leafs, this is one they got to really put the pressure on them and say, you know, this is, this is what you're going to get when we play you in the playoffs in the first round. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the Leafs don't play a trap. Not like, no, uh, they don't, they don't, no. but they play this is, wide this, but, open this is going to be, but, the, but the, these are the, like, yes, these games mattered like they all do, but these ones are the ones that really did matter against Calgary. And I think that, um, 
you need to you need to really put the uh, you know put the you know the foot on the throat of your opponent, especially when we know that they're likely going to play the Leafs in the first round. Sure, and they've got a few games against the Leafs prior to the playoffs starting. Right. I think it's four, so yeah. we'll get a little bit of a preview there, and they'll be able yeah. to build some hate more so. Yeah. Uh, but for the Calgary series, um, yeah, you guys are right. It, it was, was boring as shit. It was. Oh my any god, it's bad. Any idea on how many games uh, Edmonton has left with Toronto? Because they're they're five back with a game in hand. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past. Edmonton finishing first yet. It could, it, could, it could very well happen. And Montreal plays think. good hockey against Edmonton, so I'd be all I'd be all for that. Yeah, well, I mean, you see the last ten games. If you're within five points with a game in hand, it's happened a lot of times where you know, especially if you have head-to-head games against the team that's in front of you, that five points can uh, can evaporate pretty quickly. So yeah, uh, it's not like uh, Toronto's getting great goaltending right yeah. now. They're kind of on a little bit of a slide. So, you know, I'm not discounting Edmonton getting first place yet, but yeah, it'll be probably one of those two teams. Yeah. So, Grant, you brought up a fa- you brought up um, Jake Allen and how he played against um, against the Flames. I actually have his numbers up here. So, in six games against the Flames, he had a 9.37 save percentage and a 1.86, and he went two and four. Yeah, exactly. I so, mean, because the Canadians so, aren't averaging even so, two goals a game against them. Exactly. So, so he didn't have the he didn't have the run support. That's for damn sure. But it definitely wasn't definitely wasn't his fault that they lost those games. And a good point about the you know um, Caulfield creating. He had one sixth of Montreal's total uh, shots last night. Yeah. You know that's one player out of twenty or nineteen or whatever skaters. Yeah. So, yeah. you know he, he had. Um... Yeah, exactly. And Caulfield had an incredible 75.82 expected goals for percentage in that game. Uh, He wasn't on, I don't know if you've got the offensive zone, defensive zone starts, but it seemed like just about every face off that he was on for was in the defensive zone too, which isn't ideal. You know, Uh, I I understand why they, they, they put him with Deneau because the rookie and oh, it's got to be defense first. It's got to not lose. They got to have them with the best defensive centerman. But they were out against the Monaghan line all game, and the majority of the time the puck was in their end. I, I would have liked him to have started with the, you know, third line matchup with with Kotkaniemi, who has more, you know, better playmaking skills than uh, than Dino, but. They, they went the conservative approach like they usually do. And uh, uh, unfortunately, he spent most of the game in his own zone, which isn't, you know, that's not his bread and butter. But I thought he looked okay in that regard, too. Yeah, a little bit of a mismatch on a third line would have helped him out a little bit more, especially with uh, Kutkaniemi's playmaking abilities. He did get some power play time, about two minutes worth, and it he did gen- he did help generate a scoring chance during one of the power plays, which kind of led to the five on three. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first shift of the game, he came down close to scoring. That would have been something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I would have probably hit the ceiling. I was pretty excited when he got the puck there and oh, here we go. He would have uh, been he would have been the the last or the or the last player to score in his debut since 
future Habs legend, Eric Stahl. <laughs> yes, yeah. And also the biggest, the biggest part is casual spot. We're going to give away eight wings if he scored a goal. So people in oh. Quebec would have been super excited to get free wings. Alas. What if he just scored two? <laughs> I think chickens would have gone extinct. <laughs> uh, I was but, I was happy last night just seeing all the positive messages on on Twitter for a change for a change. <laughs> like you had a you had a goal scoring top prospect for the Montreal Canadiens didn't get on the score sheet and nobody freaked out about it. It was yeah. it was it was like a breath of fresh air. It was really nice. Like I thought I stepped on like I stepped on a bug and went back in time or something. I don't know what happened, but I was pretty happy about it. Well, it's not like he didn't create offensive opportunities either. Like he, no. he had some and he wasn't shots. A liabi- and he wasn't a liability. God, no. He was able to strip pucks. He was back-checking. Played well. Yep. And I wish I could say the same for the rest than, of the lineup. He got six more minutes in Eric Stahl, so that was a positive, too. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I wish I could say the same about playing well for the rest of the lineup. I mean, they, they had a hard time trying to break that trap. That was painful to watch and it, there's no secret to how to break the trap it's there's only one way to do it and that's put pucks a few feet behind each defensive layer and having support coming in but the canadians were flat-footed <clears throat> for most of that game uh, they were more concerned with the defensive side you saw a lot of passes uh, where the defender was trying to clear his zone for a for his own exit he make a quick pass up to the forward and it was just ahead of him because the forward was flat-footed. He was waiting a little bit too far back, trying to ensure that he was in the right defensive posture, but it just kept happening over and over and over. They didn't really get that chance to, to break through until after the second goal when Toffoli buried that chance that kind of opened things up. And I know it sounds weird to say, they opened it up and then they barely shot again, but Calgary wasn't as hard onto the, the this neutral zone trap because they were pushing to try to get something. And that's when the Canadians, like Grant said, flipped the script on them and started trapping them in return. With the system that they play with the, 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 that the Canadians play right now, you play the trap against them. Canadians aren't going to do a damn thing because now they're, instead of going into the mentality of, you know, the dump and chase and everything, which we've been so used to, which works against a trap with their little short pass mentality and dropping the puck before the, I hate that drop the puck before the blue line bullshit. Yeah. Right? All right. Especially on the power play. Um, all you got to do is play the trap against the Canadians. You're going to win every game or you're going to have a very good opportunity. You're going to have a very good chance to win every game. Especially if Montreal doesn't score first. Yeah. Like it's such a key. <laughs> for yeah. them lately is uh, they have to score they have to score first goal or the first two yeah. or they're in trouble especially if you employ the trap against them i i mean yeah that back pass thing and and then also going behind your net and standing there for 20 and wasting 20 30 seconds off of the power play time yeah i'm not a big fan of that no. i know this you know and then there's always a guy i like luce you know oh, zone entries though they had four zone entries on the key stat for me on a power play is goals, not yeah. zone entries. Yeah. You know, I don't care if they had 20 zone entries. Yeah. 
if you don't do anything with it, it's irrelevant to me. That's right. I, I, I'm happy that they're starting to set up a little bit better than what they used to. But right. as you said, it, when, it, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, it's putting pucks in the net. It's not how well you can move the puck around. And, right. I mean, so. I, I get stats, you know, advanced stats and that, but, you know, I don't uh, – entering the zone is, is part of it, but, uh, you know, there's a lot more to uh, scoring a goal than entering the zone. And um, just this uh, delay, this 30 seconds of killing time on the power play just will never make sense to me. There's an open guy out there somewhere because you got the man advantage. Get it to him. Skate your butt off, you know. I think it's more about – the biggest problem with their power play is the lack of urgency. It's like, you you know, you you lay off a bit because, oh, we got the man advantage. We can take our time. You got to push. You got to push when you have the man advantage. Try to score as quickly as you can. Um, you know, you've got a, you got an advantage. Utilize it. But it seems like it's all about setting up and working it around, getting it back to the point. You know, it's the same thing over and over again instead of uh, – it'd be great to see the odd two on one and uh, breakaway and stuff on the power play, but it seems to never happen with the Canadians, a long stretch pass where you, you know, you, you, you get behind the defense. That's not happening on the power play. It's all get it back to the point and, and pray. And yeah, they're very passive with the, yeah, they're very passive with the puck. And, and that's why defenders when they're playing on the PK know to attack the puck carrier force the play because they're just they're static they're not moving that well but last night's game I saw a little bit more puck movement they were they were more urgent with that and it was a drawn up play with the one that they scored on on the five on three it's by the way the first five on three goal they've had all season so mm-hmm. that's that's impressive in itself that it took this frigging long to get a five on three goal because they're so passive but in this case, they, they attacked the puck right away off the faceoff, got it down low, gener- created a, uh, a screen where Weber can step into, and he just buried it. So, Caulfield's going to help the, the, uh, yeah. the power play with uh, he's not static. He moves around a lot. And I noticed the last couple of games, too, they always had KK over on the left wall, and uh, they're starting to utilize him. For his one timer on the right side, it hasn't paid off yet. But I saw him score a beauty in the under 18s there with this uh, with a slapper from from the from the right side that uh, you know I think it's gonna gonna start to pay off when they they move him around. You know they got to move him around a little more, and I think they're they're starting to, and that's gonna be key too. I'm glad to see that Stahl was off. He didn't have a second a power play time last night. He went from being the first line center to uh, not being on either power play unit, which was interesting. I think that might be one of the most important factors with, with Caulfield being in. He basically replaces Stahl in the, uh, on the power play units. And I think that's, that's a huge uh, upgrade right now. Well, if you want to build a meritocracy, which is what he said he wanted, this is what you have to do. He gave him a chance. He didn't do anything with that chance. Try someone else. Yeah, I don't think he had a power play point. No. And if you look, I looked at his stats, the power play the last, you know, all year, it's not good. He's not He's not a power play guy right now at this point in his career. He's going to have to be a, you know, defensive uh, 
defensive centerman uh, or even maybe even a winger come playoff time. Um, he, I noticed at the end of the game, he, he made some nice plays and, you know, he's still a very smart player. I, I, there's lots of things to like about him. He's a big guy. He can move guys out of the way. He can, uh, he can really help you defensively. He can win some big draws and stuff, but to, uh, to hope that he's going to be your answer as your first power play centerman, uh, I think that they finally realized that that's not going to happen. Yeah, they're going to have to start to really rely on their youth uh, to step in. So Suzuki and Kotkaniemi have to become their, their center weapons on the power play. Yeah, maybe uh, hopefully Bailing too, if, uh, if he gets a look in the playoffs, if they, if they make the playoffs and if they, um, you know, they get behind a couple of games, it'd probably be the only way it happens. But I'd love to see Palin get, uh, get a shot in the playoffs. The last time that the Canadians did anything in the playoffs, like won the cup, 92, uh, I think I've mentioned this last time, but Demers used piles of young players, rookies, you know, infusion, that energy infusion, that adrenaline. And I'm hoping that uh, this year, for the first time under the under Bergevin, that they, that, you know, um, a little less conservatism, utilize these first round picks that you've, you've been, uh, you know, stocking up and, and look, they're ready to go. And uh, hopefully, hopefully the young guys really get, uh, get a chance to, uh, to help the team. They also set a standard too, with uh, everybody's first game of the year. I mean, they got to go out without a bucket, fly, <laughs> show off their, uh, their Gidafka yeah. locks. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty cool. Now, um, well, uh, we talked a little bit about that series. We talked about a bit of what the Canadians are missing. Uh, and now we'll talk about Patrick Roy. So Roy is uh, rumored to have, well, not rumored. It's been, it's been reported that he's hired a, a management firm to help him return to the NHL, find him an NHL job. And of course, being Patrick Roy, and wanting to go back to the NHL. He is now the front runner on Habs Twitter to take over as GM, head coach, president, owner, everything. So, uh, Grant, as you're the guest, what, what do you think of that hot trash? Oh, all those championships he's won in Quebec City? Well, he's got the one. Since, uh, since he went back to yep. junior. He keeps losing to Halifax somehow. I don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Quebec hasn't exactly been a powerhouse since he went back, have they? No. That's with him running the whole show. Um, I don't know. It, you know, I'd, I'd maybe hire a guy that's actually been winning the last three years if you if you go that route, not, uh, not just uh, the big name. I'm not... Uh, I'm not sold on Patrick Roy uh, being a competent GM. First of all, where's his experience uh, at, at the pro level as a GM? None. Um, I don't think Bergevin. Well, I mean, if they miss the playoffs, he might he might lose his job. But I really don't think that that's the answer right now. It's uh, one more year, regardless. I think. Um, I mean, there was talk a month ago that he's, that he could be GM of the, 
of the year. And what uh, what's happened since then, as far as what he's done, that has made him all of a sudden just, oh, he's got to be fired. Well, it's the team underachieving that I guess you can blame it on him. But the Gallagher injury, they put up a stat the other day. Um, their record without Gallagher the last five years when he's had those injuries, it's just amazing the difference. It's like they're a 650 team when he's playing and they're a 350 team when he's not, something like that. So uh, it, it's, it's really hurt, you know, and that's why they've uh, fallen back to the pack to a certain degree. Um, he's just such a key. He's the, he's the, you know. He's the heartbeat, the, of, the, he's the the heartbeat of the team, really. You take the he heartbeat is, yeah. out of the team, it dies, right? So. Yeah, no, it's just, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, Patrick Wall. Uh, maybe coach, maybe, but I'm not, uh, you know, what did he uh, achieve in Quebec either that was, or sorry, in Colorado, you know? He had his one good year. That's right, one yep. good year, but he had a lot of talent too, yep. you know? Um, I don't know, I, I, I'd, I'd take Joel, Bouchard, Joel before I take Wah, if, you know. A hundred times, a hundred times out of a hundred. If you're going that route, and I definitely take Andre Tournier, yep. either one of those guys, even Guy Boucher, I'd rather have as as coach than uh, Patrick Roy. There, there, there's other good francophone choices, and obviously that'll be you know it'll be a francophone. But yeah, uh, and yeah I, that I'm not uh, I'm not very high on that scenario. For me, it's his track record that that causes me to say no. I mean, as a player, he quit on the Canadians and demanded a trade. As a coach, he quit on Colorado and just walked away un- unannounced. Uh, he did similar to the Quebec, uh, to the Quebec Paul the first time. And he is, <laughs> he's, uh, he's kind of doing the same now, at least this time it's the offseason is about to start in the QMJHL. He's, He's exploring options. He hasn't announced anything yet, but he's going to end up walking away. Hopefully before he leaves Quebec, he actually hires a coach to take his spot before he takes off. But his track record of just quitting and walking away because he's not getting his way is why I would say buyer beware on him. Yeah. Our Yorkie agrees with you on that. He was, uh, <laughs> he was backing you up on that one. What do you say, Matt? Um, there's a lot of teams right now that need help in their offices or that need help behind the bench. It's not just the Canadians that are going to have an opening or that are potentially going to have an opening. And I'm saying that because um, you're sure I'm still an interim coach, right? He hasn't been given the, he hasn't been given the, the full reins of the head coach yet. Um, so teams like Arizona, Buffalo, Carolina, more or less Carolina is going to bring back their coach, but he's not under contract for next year. Columbus is Tortorella going to come back, uh, Detroit, Vancouver, et cetera. There's still a lot of teams out there that he could potentially go to. It's not just the Canadians. I, and, and I know that with the Montreal media and with Habs Twitter and everything like that, as soon as Patrick was name came up, it was instantly they're talking to him. And they've already come out and the firm has already come out and said there hasn't been any discussions between the Canadians and this client. So can I see him returning to the NHL? Absolutely. I think someone, an owner, a GM, somebody is going to come out and say, we can bring in just for the name, 
And he did win a Jack Adams in his first year. He does show that he can coach at a, at a certain level, but it is, it's more the attitude piece. However, I can see him. I can see him returning to the league next year. In in, in some in some in some sort of capacity, he'll get some sort of job, whether it's whether it's um, a hockey ops job, maybe an assistant GM job somewhere to get his feet wet somewhere else, or maybe even a head coaching job. It's it's hard to say. Um, the guy's got a, you know, is you know is uh, his career as a player is is incredible. Like he you know he won four cups. Um, you know he did he did very good things for the Canadians. He did very good things for Colorado hard to say who he's going to come back with, but there's, there's, there's opportunity there. And just because of his name, I think he'll, I think we'll see him back next year. Out of all the great coaches, if you name the top 10, 20 coaches of all time, were any of them great players? Not a lot lot of them were. No. It it doesn't trans, it doesn't translate. Yeah. You got to go back 60, 70 years though. Yeah. Yeah. It you is know, hard to find. It is hard yeah, to find. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, you know, that doesn't translate. And the, the awards thing, yeah, he won, you know, uh, Pierre Dorian almost won executive of the year three years ago. Would you hire yeah. him? You know, like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Awards are just, uh, they're, they're not always deserving. <laughs> I think um, honestly, just because of his name, I think that yeah. I think we'll see him back. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah, if he wants to come back, someone will hire him for something. But uh, and it might even be as a coach, it might even be Montreal. I don't. Uh, I mean, I don't know that. You know, it obviously it depends. If if Don doesn't win in the first round, it, it's it's up in the air for yeah. sure. Yeah. If he doesn't make the playoffs, then I don't think he's back. You know, so um, I think it's going to depend if even if they lose in the first round, it's going to be how they lost. Yeah. Yeah. It could right? be. If they're not in any of the games and they look really sloppy, like they have lately. Yeah. They might still consider bringing him back, but I think he's going to have to interview for the job. Yeah. Well, if they get swept four straight and lose five, nothing, whatever each game. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Probably yeah. gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and everyone will be asking for his head anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the key for this team is get to the playoffs because I really do think that they have a Bergeron has, has built a team that should compete in the playoffs, yep. whether they win or not. Yep. But I mean, they've got a defense that if we all see it, we see it every year, the clutch and grab comes back to a certain degree at playoff time. They, they, you know, they, they call, they don't call the penalty as quite as much as they do in the regular season. And um, they've got a kind of defense and system that, We'll keep, should keep them in games at least yep. at playoff time. Yeah. If, uh, uh, if they allow a little bit of play to happen, unlike last night when, you know, Sherratt put his hand on somebody and they all, yeah. you know, every arm in the fucking building went up, right? So. Yeah, that was, a, I didn't like that call. Right. Know. So I, I, I Sherratt is a, is a playoff hockey type player. He's, he's a guy that's, if he can play his style and he can play the body and, you know, make it rough for the other team, you know, that's where he's going to excel. Edmondson, Weber, uh, you know, all these guys are playoff. Gallagher gets, comes back. That's going to be such a boost. That's going to be a huge spark. Huge. You know, Anderson should be a playoff player. Um, uh, You know, um, 
there's there's Lekkonen always steps up. The guy he plays, uh, you know, incredible come playoff time because uh, yeah. he just competes so hard. You know, um, Byron even, you know, is a uh, character kind of playoff guy. So yeah. KK and Suzuki, if they play like they did, uh, you know, last playoff, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of playoff type players on the team. So um, yeah. I could see them. They're not going to be an easy out, you know. No. They're, 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 they won't have the pressure on them because they won't be favored, and um, there won't be a hometown advantage for the first place team because there won't be fans. True. So. Yeah, as of right now, too, the NHL is talking about possibly running a bubble again, but this time in the U.S. Yeah. I think they will for we we brought this up before. I think they'll I think they'll do that when the final four teams. Yeah, I don't think it'll be the first two rounds. No, I think it'll be the final four teams. They'll mm-hmm. they'll run a bubble. Or um, there was talks that Canadian teams would um, have an adopted U.S. city and they would go to their arena. So Toronto might go to Buffalo, or uh, you know, uh, Winnipeg might go to Minnesota or something like that, right? Something something like that. Just so we don't have to do the whole border jumping thing. Montreal to Vermont. There you go. Okay, <laughs> in Hartford, we can listen to the brass bonanza. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of fans would enjoy that. A little bit of nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, we're playing the old Norris, the Norris style uh, hockey. So why not, right? Bring back Tory Robertson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but you're right. There's a lot of playoff type hockey players there. You, you mentioned Ander- Anderson did really well against Tampa Bay when Columbus swept them. Perry, he did he did an excellent job in Dallas last year and has pretty much every time he makes the playoffs. Um, yeah, and and the defense Stop. is more static, but more playoff ready because they're they do do the clutch, the clutch and grab. And Matt, you mentioned that penalty against uh, against Schrott last night. That's a penalty. It's a penalty. You call it every time. But what cheesed There's me off. There's a lot of that during the game, though. There was at least 30 <laughs> of those throughout the game. And that's the first time they called it. Yeah, so that it pretty, is what pisses bad. me off. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, I think we pretty much killed off that whole little to the NHL stuff. Um, we can talk a little bit about... Uh, the latest that came out of recruits.ca grant, you did a first round NHL study and you put together a ton of work, putting a grade and a point system to each team's um, drafting work over the last, I think it was 2007 to 2016. So there was quite a bit there. So why don't you walk us through a little bit of what you did and how the Canadians did. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I started off doing a couple of points per pick and uh, points per game and a, and, and a few categories. And it just, yeah, I said, well, I got to keep adding here to really make it fair. Um, you know, the more I d- dug into it, because um, I, I looked at uh, when you're drafting one to five, you know, what's the average m- number of points that each pick has gotten? right down to uh, 26 to 30. And I mean, the difference is, is astronomical as you 
as you go down. So it's so important where your draft position is. And uh, I know because Montreal just, you, you hear it all the time that, you know, well, Montreal can't draft in the first round and they, they're lousy in the first round. And um, there are a lot of factors involved in that. And the main one being that they, uh, they usually picked uh, outside of the top 15. And when you do that, the odds that you get a productive NHL are less than 50%. So um, you can, you can look at Tenori being a, a bust, but you know, the, the stats don't, don't back that up. And the fact is that he's still playing in the NHL right now. You know, all of the Habs first round picks with the exception of Sherback and, and LeBlanc are still playing. They're on NHL rosters right now. You, you pick somebody in the 20 to 30 range and seven, eight years later, he's still playing in the NHL. He's not a bust, you know, Montreal's expectation. Well, look at Pasternak. Well, sure. Look at Pasternak, but he is the exception as opposed to the rule. Yeah. You know, there aren't many 25th overall picks that end up being a David Pasternak. Like that's, that's a once a, once a decade thing, you know? So you, you look at it and you have to look at all the teams. You have to uh, consider that every team has had guys that didn't make it, that were picked in the first round. And uh, you have to look at uh, how many defensemen were taken. Because if you only look at points, defensemen score a lot less than, than forwards. So that had to be factored in as well. And when I got it all done, Montreal was in the top 10, which considering that, you know, the, the, the narrative that they're horrible at picking in the first round, I, I thought it, it kind of demonstrated that that's not the case. They're not the best, but they're far from the worst in, in that period. And since then too, since 2016, uh, I think they've picked, you know, um, Kakaniemi, Caulfield and Gooley are all very good picks. So that wasn't even in, considered in it. Um, you know, people can argue, well, why did you start 2007? Well, people always cherry pick and they go, they, they say, well, between 2008 and 2012, uh, you know, 2011. Well, they didn't pick in the top 15, any of those drafts. Three of them were, uh, you know, they picked in the 20s. Uh, they were poor drafts. And you can look back at it and say, okay, well, the, you know, they didn't pick great picks, but it's also cherry picking to start at 2008. And I thought uh, you had to do a decade and you couldn't really go from uh, the last three years because uh, there's not enough uh, data on the players. So uh, I, I chose 2017 to be fair to a certain degree to, uh, to, to the Canadians because it's the only between 2000 and uh, seven and 12, they did not pick in the top 15. If you didn't, if you don't include McDonough, like if you only went uh, and it just, uh, it really um, weighed against the Canadians when you cherry pick it that, you know, specifically um, I could have gone back to 2005, but uh, price is the only goalie picked in the top 10 um, since 2005. 
And uh, it's kind of hard to weigh um, the goalie stats against players, uh, forward stats and, and defenseman stats because they don't get points, right? And the key factor, it was points per pick. So it didn't really make sense to, uh, to start with that either. Um, I mean, this is a random, to a certain degree, it's random. Um, and it's far from perfect, what, the final tally, but even if you take away defense picks, even if you take away position of pick, Montreal still was in the top half uh, among NHL teams as far as uh, success in the first round in that period. So I think it, it demonstrates at least that while they have, weren't the best, drafting in, in that period that they uh, they were far from the worst. Yeah, I found it interesting that St. Louis was at the top of your list. And, and considering that St. Louis has been picking about <clears throat> middle of the pack for the, the majority of that time frame. So what do you think they were doing right? Well, they were picking, uh, you know, they weren't picking busts. They were picking uh, guys that, uh, that have contributed uh, at the NHL level quite well, you know, guys like, uh, Tarasenko, um, Perron, all these guys were picked outside of the top 15 and become very productive NHL players. Um, that, you know, they've been one of the, one of the more consistent drafting teams and Armstrong ended up going to become GM of, uh, Billy Armstrong, you know, very good really good uh, scout and I think he was deserving to get that job in Arizona he's got a lot of work to do but proof is in the pudding with uh, with their draft results do you think their their development method had a heavy hand in some of this success oh yeah for sure yeah but I think you know they have a good scouting staff and it's uh and it showed in in where they are in the rankings number one well, I'm sure, I'm sure it had uh, a, bit, a bit of help to get them that cup too. Yeah, Some definitely. Lucky bastards. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you trade away guys. Um, you know, it's another, uh, you see the stats, well, uh, not a pick between 2006 and 2000 and what is it now, 17, that none of the first round picks of the Habs are with the team. So, you know, like that's apparently a negative, but if, you know, the drafted players are assets and you trade, you know, not a lot of St. Louis's picks were necessarily on the team either. You know, they traded away guys uh, when, when need, when need be to, uh, to help build a contender. So I don't think it's uh, the important thing is how the players uh, do in the NHL if they become good or not, whether it's with your team or not, it's not that, uh, you know, they have to uh, be lifetime players on your team because there's so much movement in the NHL. So, Asset management, moving a player <clears throat> that you picked for something that you need. I'm sure nobody would, would uh, line up and say they'd rather have Galchenyuk at this point over Anderson. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it ended up being, you know, um, has Montreal been great with their asset management with the first round picks? No, I think that would be, uh, you know, that would be an issue and development 
that that they maybe gave up on uh, Tenorti a little early, McCarron a little early, uh, guys that uh, you know they let get away with um, preferring veterans that didn't really end up doing anything anyway that they picked up, and and I would have some issue with that, but uh, that's not on the scouting staff. No. Now that, that this all moves into the realm of development and what's the best methodology. And uh, we could argue that the Canadians have a much better development method now than they did just three years ago. So that should make a difference in this new retooling plan that uh, Bergevin has put into place. But yeah, the scouting, I mean, uh, and, and I, I went through some of your numbers and I, I, I found that 2012 seemed to be a very weak year. Yeah. The year th- that was the year the Canadians won that lottery and moved up to third. So that's right. No, they um, weren't, the luck wasn't with them in that regard. No. You know, if it had they been were bad in the wrong years. No, exactly. You know, it's timing to a certain degree. Uh, and, and even still, they got one of the top three point producers from that draft. So you can criticize it if you like that they didn't know they didn't get a Mitch Marner, but there was no Mitch Marner at third overall that year. Yeah, they weren't fighting to see who would get uh, McDavid or Eichel. They were. It was Yakupov. Yeah, that's right. Who I had I third overall, by the way. I just thought I'd mention that. I, I do remember uh, I hockey thirteenth overall, but yeah. Well, hockey. Uh, what was it? Uh, hockey. HF boards was all in fail for nail. Everybody was just going on and on about fail for nail. Yeah. No, I got a lot of flack for not having him first overall uh, (laughs) from people that thought I was crazy, but I had some, I had some concerns that he played a bit of too much of a Russian style hockey there. And it was going to come back to bite him with NHL coaches. And Sometimes I'm right. Once in a while. Don't, it depends who you ask too. If it's your wife, you're never right. <laughs> no, it's true. Now, uh, there's some other there's some some other work that's coming out on uh, recruits.ca. I mean, Dan Dan Meager puts out a great uh, roundup after every game. Uh, I would suggest if anyone's not subscribed and not reading Dan's work, you're missing out. Oh yeah, you remember Rick Mahar? Played for the St. Louis Blues, uh, drafted by the Habs. He's actually his uh, cousin. Oh, wow. So it's pronounced Mahar, even though, you know, you wouldn't think that when you looked at the name, but thought I'd just uh, add that part. But, uh, yeah, Dan's a uh, Dan's a really good writer and amazes me how quickly he gets the five minutes after the game and he's sending it to me and say, yeah, ready to go. Even Brian's impressed. He's been, you know, Brian Wild's been doing these uh, deadline call the wild articles for years, and he uh, he's quite impressed with with Dan's not only his uh, how prolific he is, but um, his writing. He he's a very keen observer, and uh, really uh, glad to have him on board. And there's this other guy that apparently uh, just uh, put up a, an article too. Did you want to maybe? talk about that a bit well i mean 
if you're into that kind of thing. I hear the guys, he's not that pretty. He's not that smart. <clears throat> he's kind of slow. <laughs> he's getting old. Mm. I mean, there's so much gray in his beard. You know? Yeah. I, I'd hate to toot that horn. Oh, well, uh, I, I'll have to toot it for you then. Because uh, <laughs> there's uh, going to be a, a really interesting article published by uh, yours truly. Blaine Potman that will be going up uh, or is it Potvin? Potvin, Potvin, Potvin. <laughs> yeah, Potvin. Yeah, okay. My, my yeah, wife can't pronounce it, so. I didn't anglicize your name like you did Dan's, but uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting look and, and I mean, it, it, you got to start doing it. You know, soon enough, it'll be all the talk, the expansion draft and stuff and what, what teams are going to do. But uh, I found it quite an interesting read and uh, looking forward to posting that uh, this afternoon and um, so people can read it uh, tonight. And, you know, talking about Weber and uh, Bryce and what, what you do with those guys in particular. And uh, it's, it's a great read. I hope people... Uh, have a look at it and on that subject specifically matt what would you do with price and weber if anything at all you mean uh, as in terms of the expansion draft yeah i, I think like, you know i protect them both at this point i really would like price <laughs> price is shown when he's healthy and he's got a team in front of him that you know, he can, he can come to play. And I think he still has that in him. Um, I, I think the, I think there's, I think the issue with Weber is that uh, they still rely on him a little bit too much to drive the offense, even though he doesn't have the wheels. Like he, he never really did have the wheels, but he, you know, he's an aging player. Um, but they keep putting him with a guy that he still needs to play the defensive game, but he needs to drive the offense as well. And I think if they can, you know, more or less solidify a partner with him. He can play more of a defensive role, but still be there with his shot. I think it would be beneficial for him and his career moving forward. Uh, right now, people are jumping all over him saying that, you know, you have to, you know, he's a liability or he's this, or he's not putting the puck in the net or anything like that. But um, he's still a, you know, a big mean defenseman that, you know, I wouldn't want to go into a corner with. He's going to be a guy that's going to show up during the playoffs. He's going to protect his goalie. He's going to protect his teammates. And, you know, is the, is, you know, is he still that Norris winning or the Norris contender type defenseman? Maybe not. Is he still have a role on this team? Absolutely. Um, I, I think that, uh, I think they'd be silly to, uh, to expose him, to be honest, or to even ask him. Yeah, and speaking of exposing, <clears throat> uh, it's uh, it's that time of year for uh, testicular cancer awareness. And Habs Unfiltered is sponsored by Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels and is now available in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, and the EU. And we have an exclusive offer, offer for our audience. Use the code UNFILTER20 to get 20% off, plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the, re- the movement for, and the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. In addition to providing the right tools and solutions for safe and easy manscaping, 
Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to spread awareness for men's health and early cancer detection. Together, TCS and Manscaped are committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35 and giving support to fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of their We Saved Balls initiative. While you're down there cleaning up your sack, why not go ahead and give them a little investigation for lumps, changes of size, or any pain? Manscaped recommends you check yourself once a month. If you do feel any lumps or swelling, give your doctor a call immediately. In addition to checking yourself regularly, you want to make sure that your sack is looking fresh and clean with Manscaped Package Perfect Package 3.0. Inside the Perfect Package, you'll find products and liquid formulations that have been developed to turn your bathroom into a salon for your balls. All liquid formulations use the best ingredients. Some of these liquids, liquid tools include the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant, the Crop Reviver, a spray-on ball toner, the Perfect Package 3.0 also includes anti-chafing performance boxers that keep your package cool and feeling fresh. Join the Manscaped movement and start taking care of your balls today. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTER20 at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code UNFILTER20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code UNFILTER20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And that it was a little swelling. Uh, was a little, I noticed a little swelling when Caulfield hit the ice there last night. There, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's down there, he may as well check it. <laughs> oh, I was a little excited about that, but uh, yeah, he uh, it, I mean, that it's the most excited I've been about a Habs prospect, uh, you know, making his debut since uh, since KK, so you know. I know that hasn't been that long, but hey, uh, the future looks bright for those guys. And just uh, um, before, you know, before you did your spiel there, he was talking about Weber and the playoffs. I think that, you know, let's just hold off here and see see how Weber uh, plays down the stretch here and in the playoffs too. You know, I think people might be a little uh, jumping the gun a little bit on him as far as how effective he can still be. Um I have a feeling that come playoff time, he, uh, you know, if they make it, that he'll be, uh, he'll be a big contributor, especially if they, if they do end up winning a, a series or two. They talked um, about, like, they talked about Sherratt Weber and Petrie last year, and they talked a lot about it. So Kevin Biasket brought him up almost every time he talked on CBC. Um, now adding Evanston to the fold that's more or less solidified Petrie. I think that we could really have two solid pairings and right like right now yes with with covid and the canadians missing time they're playing a compressed schedule they're playing four games a week you know anybody's going to be tired doing that especially especially in a play in a in a playoff race right now anyone's going to be tired out doing that and you know is is why we're playing injured is he this is he that should his minutes be reduced maybe but he's already said it's a you know it's a it's a team it's a team game you know, we can talk about me all you want, but it's when it comes to the, down to it, he said that he wants to play even more. Some people didn't like that, but um, I just think it's a confidence thing for him. We know that he's a, a huge contributor to the uh, to the locker room and how the guys are in the locker room, how they are on the bench. And um, we saw it last night when he scored that goal. You know, the mm-hmm. energy that he can bring to that lineup. So, um, Merrill too, I think. Uh... 
could be uh, pretty solid in the playoffs as well. We've, yeah. seen, we've already seen how poised he is. Yeah. It's amazing how poised that guy is. It's yeah, he doesn't do he doesn't do anything pretty. He just does he does he yeah. goes out there and he defends. He gets in the lanes. He stick checks very well. Yeah, and that's what they need to do, right? No, I think he could be quite effective in the playoffs. Good pickup for uh, what it cost. Yeah. Especially if they put Romanov on his uh, on his pairing. Absolutely. Romanov can roam <laughs> around a little bit, use yeah. that mobility, throw that big hit, and Merrill will be there to back him up. Yeah, I want to see a playoff hit from Romanov. Yeah, like really bad. <laughs> yeah. As no, you know, I, he's gonna you know he's gonna come to play. Yeah, here's hoping that they you know it's not gonna be Gustafsson come playoff time. Um, uh, Caulfield brings enough to the to the power play that they don't feel that they have to have uh, Gustafsson in the top six because uh, I'm, I'm more comfortable with Romanov than, than Gustafsson away from the puck. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Away from the puck. Gustafsson is a hot mess. Yeah. I find, uh, you know, he has been all year and last year and that's not going to change. I don't think. No. Good Even depth. Caulfield, when he went back to to get the puck at the point, like, what was he doing? You know, let the kid grab it and circle. Instead, he's, you know, it came darn close to being a freaking breakaway goal. Yep. There were two or three instances during the game where, you know, it could have cost them a goal. And then, you know, even the first game when he blew the tire, <laughs> you know, and the guy got the breakaway, like, I mean, he, he's been lucky so far that, his mistakes haven't really cost the team, but that, you know, that'll, that'll change with time. I can see, I can see Kulak maybe coming into the lineup. Yeah. 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 yeah I hope so. I was surprised that uh, Kulak played so well in Montreal against the flames, his old team and that he was the only one with the heart that first game. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he has to sit out. I, I was surprised that he didn't get another game back against the flames in, uh, those three games. Now, Matt, was there anything else you wanted to uh, to add or or ask? No, I'll just I'll bring up Farrell really quick. We talked about it before we went on air. So, uh, Canadians uh, prospect Sean Farrell plays for uh, Chicago Steel. He would have been playing for Harvard University this year if uh, COVID wasn't a thing. Um, he broke 100 points with the USHL, so he's the second player to do it in very you know many many years. Um, Ended up his regular season, 29 goals, 72 assists for 101 points. Um, he was in, in 53 games. This was a guy that uh, Cole Caulfield was very, very high on and uh, tweeted steel when they picked him. Uh, someone they're really high on. Someone that uh, surprisingly, surprisingly, we didn't see him like at, you know, at, at the juniors or anything like that, even though that, you know, I know the juniors. I know that the Americans have a really um, top-heavy forward game when it comes to their prospects, and for him to get into the lineup probably was going to be a little bit difficult. But his name was never really even in consideration, which was kind of surprising. Um, this is going to be another guy. I think he's going to be a, a really good. I think he was a more or less a sleeper pick for that draft, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do when he. Uh, goes into the NCAA and, um, and starts, and starts his career there. Yeah. He, uh, um, the coach of the U S team, uh, ended up taking a couple of his own guys instead, yeah. like Patrick Moynihan, 
-hmm. and it was a head shaker that, uh, you know, it's an example of why you shouldn't hire coaches that have players that could be on the team because it's often slanted. It was just like Struble not being picked in the, uh, for the camp. They picked some defensemen, everyone, NHL scouts were saying who, you know, scrambling to find out who this guy was that, you know, that ended up going to the camp. They didn't make the team. They had no, had no business being at the camp. Uh, McDonald, like uh, they thought that it was the, you know, the Canadian forward playing in, uh, in, um, in the Quebec league um, that, that had been invited to this camp. But um, yeah, he should have been on that team. I think there's a lot of NHL scouts that agree, that agree with you on that especially the season he had at the USHL level. But um, anyway, a little bit of politics got involved there, I think. Um, it was skating and size that were the issues. That was why he dropped at the draft. And I think he is uh, he is showing this season that uh, he can overcome those deficiencies. You know, well, not the height. I mean, you can't overcome that, but the, but the, uh, the skating has improved. And uh, it's no longer a liability. I think he'll produce at the college level, for sure. It'll be uh, it'll be a, how he does as a pro. Um, but he's so smart and skilled with the puck. He's got a great shot, um, great vision, um, all those things that uh, I think will make him a good AHL player when he does eventually uh, make the jump. And hopefully he can uh, keep improving his skating. It'll be a key. And if he does that, then he has a chance of playing someday. And could we see um, his teammate, line mate, Matt Coronado, most likely picked in the first round? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love Coronado. He's a, he's a gamer, really smart too. Um, makes a lot of great plays, but uh, every game you get the same consistent game with him. Uh, Samuskevich is probably going to go in the first round too. So he's got two, two teammates there. He didn't play most of the year actually with Coronado it was surprising. They usually had Coronado with Samuskevich yeah. and uh, they played together a lot on the power play and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, all three really good, really good NHL prospects. And I think Farrell has shown that he probably should have been a second round pick. You know, he's played that well. So to get him with the last pick of the fourth round, very impressive. Absolutely. Now, the uh, the Men's World's U18 Championships has started, and you are clearly going to be taking uh, taking advantage and watching as much of that as possible <clears throat> to help with uh, building your, your draft prospectus that's going to be coming out soon. Is there any one player that you're excited to watch out of that tournament? One player. Hmm. Uh, there's a pile of players that I'm excited to watch. Um, probably most excited to watch the guys that aren't even draft eligible. Uh, Shane Wright and uh, Berard. You know, they look like they're going to be the top picks uh, in the following two drafts. But um, uh, Mason McTavish would be my choice because I, uh, he's a good Ottawa Valley boy. I know his dad quite well. And I think he's been underrated a bit for the draft. I have him as a top 10 guy. And uh, for me, that's 
especially from a personal standpoint, that's the guy that I'm most excited to uh, to see uh, how he performs in this tournament. Okay. I think he'd be a good hab. He's a strong kid. He's a bull out there. He can play center. He can play wing. He can play defensive. He can play offensive. He's got a great shot. A uh, bit of a Anderson type in that regard. Um, I think they could use another prospect like that. Big kid that can that can go to the net. Has very good hands and can score goals. And um, you know, depending on where they end up picking in the draft, I'd love to uh, I'd love to see them get McTavish. I wouldn't mind another player sliding down the draft to the Canadians like Caulfield did. Yeah, exactly. You know, but maybe this time a, a big kid as opposed yeah. to a you know another five seven guy or whatever. Well, if the puck goes in the net, I don't care how big you are. No, that's right. That's right. But uh, there won't be too many, you know, five. No, can't have a line I don't think there's goals. any guys under 5'9 that are going to go in the top 20 this year, but it could be a surprise or two. Coronado's not the biggest guy. He's about 5'10", five, 5'9", five, three quarters. But, yeah, I think uh, Caulfield and uh, uh, DeBrincat are, are uh, showing that, you know, it, height doesn't ma- necessarily matter if you can put the puck in the net. So they're, the little guys, you see the more of them sneaking into the first round. There's one kid, 5'8", uh, Logan Stankoven. He's, uh, I love the kid. He's a Gallagher type. You know, I know it's used all the time, but heart and soul guy, uh, got some skill, very smart, and competes his ass off. Um, I think he'll go in the first round in part because of the success of different cat and Caulfield. Yeah. I'm sure that this year has been no, uh, no picnic for any scouts trying to put together their lists. So uh, hopefully this tournament helps solidify a few positions. Um, before we go, uh, you want to let our listeners know where they can find some of your work and what to expect in the, in the near future. Same answer as always. No, no, I'll let you do that. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on, Grant. If anyone wants to find Grant's work, go to recruits.ca. There's plenty of content that's on that website. A ton of great, uh, great writers and the draft prospectus, which I find is every year one of those go-to uh, forums for me before the draft to get better familiarized with all of the players, not just those top 30 prospects, but the ones deeper into the draft, the top 100, the top 120, because there's so many that just slide through the cracks. Like we talked about uh, Farrell. There's, there's a kid that slid. He was supposed to go a little higher, fell to the Canadians at the end of the fourth round. It's players like that, that you get a little bit more familiar on before the draft, instead of three or four years down the road. So, uh, be sure to go to recruits.ca, subscribe, check it out, subscribe for the Habs coverage, subscribe for the draft coverage. And uh, Grant, as always, thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Uh, I'd like to thank all our listeners for staying with us this long and putting up with just me and Matt. I know some people come on here to listen to us just incessantly mock Treg. Uh, don't worry, you can still find that on Twitter. We uh, check out Habs Unfiltered and all of you know, go on Twitter. You'll find us all there making fun of Treg constantly. Uh, and remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. 
Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.